0: you're listening to men of abundance episode 158 with kevin henry and today we're going to help you discover the wonderful world of diversity
1: welcome to men of abundance the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community living a life of integrity honor and the abundance mentality prepare to pay it forward with your host Former Army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael.
0: What's up, what's up, men of abundance? Today we are celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Day, and in such, we are celebrating diversity. And just in case you don't know this already, I am a huge fan. I just get so excited around any type of diversity when I see people working together, when I see teammates, when I see teams opposing teams, and I'm talking about sports, when I see good sportsmanship, I love, love good sportsmanship. And I love to see people of all walks of life working together for a common cause for humanity. And, you know... Since I've traveled all over the world, I know I said it before, like some 23 countries, five continents, and I'm not done. Every time I go somewhere, I try to get off the beaten path. I try to go out to where few tourists get to so that I can have conversations and I can actually interact with the people of that country outside of the tourist type of environment that most people kind of stick to. And sometimes I've gotten myself in a little bit of trouble in doing so, but most of the time I just had an amazing experience. I met some very interesting people and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what I thought was true, actually was not true about that particular group of people, and I just can't say enough about it. So Kevin and I are going to have a conversation today and I want you to learn more about Kevin and I want you to go learn more about Kevin and what it is that he's doing with diversity and what he's done in the past and what he's doing today out here in Hawaii. And I'm going to have his Facebook, I'm going to have all those links, everything linked up in the show notes and we bring it up in the conversation as well. So if this is your first time to Men of Abundance, I want to personally welcome you and if somebody else invited you here Reach out and thank them for introducing you to Men of Abundance and then pay it forward yourself by sharing this with somebody else. We have done zero marketing to get Men of Abundance out into the world. And right now, last I checked, it's been downloaded in 63 different countries. That's all because of you. That's because you are sharing this on your social media. You're sharing this with other people. And they are getting a lot out of these conversations, I know, because I'm seeing them in the ratings and reviews. I'm seeing them in the communication that I'm having on social media. I'm seeing them in the comments, and I'm seeing them in people sending me emails and thanking me and telling me about their experience with a particular conversation that they may have listened to in one of the episodes. So be abundant in your life today and pay it forward by sharing Men of Abundance with others. Alright, I'm going to introduce you to Kevin real quick, but I want you to know I'm not going to read his entire bio because it is very long, and quite frankly, I don't like reading stuff out loud like this, as some of you already know, so I'm going to have it linked up in the show notes at menofabundance.com forward slash 158, and I encourage you to go there and check it out because he has got so much going on, I've got some links there that I want you to check out, and if you're more interested in learning more about diversity, then this is definitely the place to check it out. So just to get through some of Kevin's bio, Kevin P. Henry fell in love with journalism and communications in his teens, beginning his professional journey by interning at a local radio station and writing news and features for several Los Angeles publications. Today, Kevin is a successful and popular trainer, writer, and consultant based in Honolulu, Hawaii. Working with businesses, nonprofits, and other organizations, Kevin is highly skilled at engaging people, facilitating communication, problem solving, and delivering the desired impact and results. Kevin is also a diversity coach for the diversity community, an online platform where he facilitates training conference calls involving club members all over the world. Men of Abundance, it is my honor to introduce you to Kevin Henry. Kevin, welcome to men of abundance brother how you doing
1: i 'm doing just great another beautiful day in Hawaii
0: it is indeed <laughs> man and i 'm telling you what you know I, I spent several years four years down there in Eva. And now I'm up here in Manoa. The breeze is blowing through. I actually had to shut the windows and everything because it'll mess up the audio. It'll blow right into the mic and uh-huh. it'll distract everybody. But um, it's very rare that I get an opportunity to talk with somebody in my own time zone.
1: Right, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I'm happy to do that. And... um I'm looking forward to connecting with you over the next couple of weeks. I know we're both super busy, and we're going to get into why you're so busy here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's no reason for us to uh, sit down and have a cup of coffee together once in a while, you know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So as you know, before we get too much into the show, I like to start out with an attitude of gratitude. What do you have to be grateful for today, man?
1: Well, I'm grateful to be alive and able to continuing to make a difference in in people's lives. I think, um, you know, before the interview, I was thinking about the fact that kind of reliving the past and thinking about all the times that I, I escaped death and and you know other forms of self destruction. And I'm, i just thank God and I and I'm just fortunate to to be able to be here at uh, at this uh, you know older age. And still be active and with ex- excluding a couple of aches and pains, you know, I, I think mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, I'm very healthy. And, I, you know, a lot of people can't say that. So I feel very grateful that I am still in a position to make a difference and improve the lives of others through the work that I do.
0: That is amazing. That is truly amazing. And it's funny that you bring that up, too, because that you say you kind of escaped death a couple times and uh i literally had that conversation just recently but i was at the um and and your aches and pains and whatnot i was just at the (laughs) va yesterday with my annual checkup and you know for the most part i forget about most of my aches and pains they're just there and i just deal with them and i'm drained by the end of the day and i don't really give them a whole lot of thought until (laughs) i go talk to my doctor and they go down that laundry list of ailments and stuff and and are you still feeling this or is has this changed and i'm like man you really, thanks for bringing all that up because I'm really feeling all that again. You know? <laughs> right. So I'm a little bit, de- you know, depressed. And I always ask you, are you depressed and all this? I said, I wasn't until now.
1: Yeah, until I know? had speeding. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So,
0: but yeah, that's wonderful. I- exactly. You know, and it's a wonder that uh, I made it past my 20s, mm. uh, let alone into my 40s and knocking on 50 at this point. Mm-hmm. But I know uh, we're going to get it's into too. a little bit more about what you're talking about in your life as well. How do you... Describe yourself, or how would you describe yourself?
1: Yeah, um, well, I I think of myself as a creative person who has a lot of creativity that can really, um, I can share with people, and it allows me to help them improve their life. And so I say that because currently I work for a nonprofit where I work with families and children and at risk youth and a lot of people who aren't as fortunate as me. So I think that I've been, uh, God has given me the ability to be creative in the ways that I can uh, enact change and and enact change not only on an individual level on a one-to-one level but also with groups of people. It just seems like for whatever reason um, that when I enter into someone's life and they enter into mine that the results are usually positive that come out of that relationship. So I feel that I'm a survivor. I feel like I'm a creator, and I, I like the word change maker. I heard that recently, and I said, yeah, I'm a change maker," you know, because I'm able to take a situation, and within six weeks, that situation is going to be better for everybody involved. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Man, that answers it perfectly. I hope the rest of the questions go like that for all my other guests or something close to it, because that is exactly what I was looking for. And, man, this is exactly why – I've known Kevin for quite some time now, and we've been talking about getting him on the show, and we finally made it happen, Uh, and I'm so glad we did because he's got so much to offer, as you're going to hear in just a minute, and you're going to see in the show notes because we're not going to be able to talk about everything here in the next 40 minutes or so. So definitely go to the show notes and see everything else that Kevin is involved in, but I absolutely love that you said that, and it's, it's spot on. I truly appreciate you sharing that.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: You've mentioned a couple of times that you've survived and you've made it this far. Um, I'm assuming that as with anybody else who I've ever had conversations with, everybody across the spectrum has those kick in the gut moments that uh, really took them to their knees. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I would really like for you to share one of those kick in the gut moments and really make us feel that.
1: Well, one of the kick in the gut moments for me was I want to say, let's see. It was I think I remember the exact date. It was March 31st, 1984, when I was at a party and I had drank entirely too much alcohol, which I was in the habit of doing back then. And uh, I set myself on fire and uh, I was at a party and I I wasn't paying attention. And I was uh, actually I was distracted by an attractive woman. And I unfortunately, I didn't see the fact that there was a candle behind me on a shelf that and my consequently my shirt caught on fire. I wound up in the hospital that night with third degree burns. And um, it was one of those kick in the gut moments because I thought, you know, if I had been alone, fortunately I was at a party, so people were able to take uh, buckets of water and throw ice on me and water and everything. And um, But if I had been alone, I probably would have died really. And it was during a time in my life when I had was drinking way too much my lifestyle was such that I was a freelance journalist. I was covering a lot of nightclubs, um, interviewing musicians, going to concerts. And subsequently, there's a lot of partying involved with that, you know, you want to be kind of part of the Hollywood scene. And uh, there were several times I drove home, I don't remember driving home, I never got a DUI, I never crashed in anybody, I never killed anybody. And shortly thereafter, I wound up leaving all that behind and moving to Seattle because I knew as a, if I continued down that road, um, that I think that there could have been some fatal consequences. So I kind of think of that as my kick in the gut moment. The thing that also kind of underscored all of that was the fact that I was surrounded by a lot of people who appeared to have everything. They had money. They had big cars. They had girlfriends, boyfriends. Uh, however, they, you know, they were also shoving a lot of coke up their nose. And as I look back, um, I see that a lot of them have died. And some of them have died uh, through uh, overdose, overdoses. Mm-hmm. So um, I was fortunate to move to Seattle where I then got a regular job and uh, with benefits and vacation time mm-hmm. and sick time. And then uh, my improved, uh, my life improved a lot from that point on. That was about 1988.
0: Wow, yeah. Uh, guys, there's so much to g- glean from that, just that little snippet of the kick in the gut moment. Two things that I want to pull out of that is, one, uh, you're spot on. I've talked to so many people that really seem to have it together. And, and they, they, they really do. They have it together better than most people. But when you really have these conversations with them on a personal level, and I have conversations with folks for the show and off the show. So I get to know them a little bit. And I realize, you know what, this guy's not that not, not, not so superhuman as I as I originally thought. And it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. The fact is, they're human and they're just trying to make it in the world just like everybody else and we put certain people on a pedestal and then we realize well dang <laughs> they're they're just like i am they've been through the same stuff i have or similar stuff and and i think that's really important to point out and it doesn't make us feel so so many people feel so inferior and so um just out of sorts around certain people when they realize when they dig a little bit deeper they really are human Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing that I get from that, or the and, is that you know, that I want to ask you really is what was the catalyst? What was the thing that really made you decide to okay, that's enough is enough? And I commend you for literally relocating. You're not a tree, and I tell people this all the time. <laughs> sometimes to get out of it, you really have to relocate and just start all over. And you can do that. So, what was the catalyst that really made you do that?
1: Well, I'm a strong believer in divine intervention, and I believe sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes I believe that God has a better plan for me than I'm even aware of. You know, I think I know it all, and I've got the plan. And at the time, again, you know, I was a freelance journalist. I was writing for newspapers down in Los Angeles. I was interviewing some some rather uh, big celebrity, music celebrities at the time. Um, But it's funny. Consequently, uh, I, I. You say catalyst, it's kind of funny because I I say it's a a concert review was the catalyst. I gave a concert review to, uh, I gave a very negative concert review review in the paper to a a huge performer. And after I gave that concert review, which is very negative, uh, my freelance work nearly dried up to, to nothing. And because I think I ticked off the wrong people, I ticked off some record companies, I ticked off some concert venues, and all of a sudden I had no work. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, and I think at the time I was very upset because I had built this reputation and this momentum as a freelance journalist, but I, but I think sometimes God knows more than we do. And it says, it's like, um, you know, I've got bigger plans for you than what you think, you know, you really want to do. So that was the catalyst as well as seeing people get into legal trouble, uh, seeing people uh, lose record contracts, seeing people overdose on drugs. It was this kind of combination and accumulation of things happening around me that, that seemed to say, you know, you, you really need to strongly consider le- strongly consider leaving this environment. And the final straw really was that I was uh, had the opportunity to, um, uh, I, I could have been hired to go on a Prince, the recording artist, rest in peace, Prince, mm-hmm. who was going to go on tour and I could have been his tour publicist. And I was, it was between me and another person to get that job. And it was the kind of job that, you know, if you, somebody offers you a job like that, you take it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Consequently, I did not get the job and then I moved to Seattle. So I forever will look back on that and, and think to myself, I'm glad I did not get that job because if I hadn't gotten that job, I would have been stuck in that industry and that environment for several more years.
0: Yeah, you know, you started out that by saying that, you know, what happened to you, and, and you wrote that article, you wrote that review, and it was divine intervention for sure. And it's so easy for us to say, why, you know, start blaming ourselves in situations like that, why did I write it like that? Why did I write <laughs> that review? Well, one, I feel you were being true to yourself. So I was. We start yeah. asking ourselves these questions. what, Why did I do that? You know, I'm, I really shouldn't have done that. And then you start thinking, why did this happen to me? And guys, when you change your questions, you truly do change your life. And the new questions that I'm assuming that Kevin might have been answering, that you might have been answering or asking yourself and others at that point was, you know, uh not why did this happen to me, but why did this happen for me? Mm-hmm. What is to come of this, and why did I do this to myself? Well, you didn't do it to yourself. you wrote you were true to yourself and you just wrote what you truly felt about and, and it was your opinion and you mm-hmm. know that's how a lot of that stuff goes, but it all happened for you and ultimately it obviously made a better it was a much better choice and put you on a much better path so right. what was the what was the case? What changed so much when you did relocate
1: well i Moved to Seattle in 1988. I got a job at the University of Washington. I met a lot of nice people there that are still my friends even today, um, which is another thing that – I compare to my life now and my compare and compared to my life in Los Angeles back in the 80s was that I'm I have some really good friends from Los Angeles. Don't get me wrong. They've been friends for years. But there's a lot of people that I met that I thought were my friends, you know, people that love your baby. Hey, Wally, you're the greatest. You know, what can you do for me? Da, da, da. <laughs> and then a week later, they don't remember who you are. So I really felt that by moving to Seattle, I felt a lot more grounded. I met um, people that became my friends that are still my friends. I got a job at the University of Washington, and then I got a job at the city of Bellevue, Washington, uh, and that was um, lasted 20 years until I moved here. And I was... At the at the city of Bellevue, I was able to incorporate my uh, broadcast journalism skills, my event planning skills, my training skills, and so all of a sudden, I had this dream job where I was using all my skills that I had accumulated. It was way more stable and way more fulfilling for me. So um, it was quite it was like a difference between night and day when when I wound up in Seattle.
0: Yeah, and one of our biggest conversations that you and I have when we do get a chance to talk is about what you did then and what you're doing now and in fact you've even got a really uh, amazing uh, facebook group uh, about diversity but you had the radio show mm-hmm. voices of diversity right. and you consulted you taught you you did mediation you did workshops on this whole idea around diversity mm-hmm. and i'm telling you man when when i start thinking about diversity and i see people working together in concert, regardless of their background, regardless of their skin color, regardless of what state they're from, what country they're from, and all of this stuff, what their beliefs are, uh, it, it, truly, it just truly gives me an amazing feeling to see that, and I love diversity so much. Can you talk a little bit more about how you kind of got into that whole arena?
1: Sure. I was uh, in Seattle in 1988, 89. And and I don't even remember how I met this woman, but her name's uh, Regina Liner. She had a newspaper called Diversity News. And I started writing because I had a journalism background, but I had been covering music and a lot of feature writing. But um, I was able to then start writing about diversity issues. So I kind of built up some credibility. I be- eventually became the editor of the paper. And so I'm putting this paper out. And so I really became uh, very much involved in just promoting diversity as a, something that's beneficial to everyone and that everyone's diverse. And since we're all going to have to live on a planet together, we might as well try and understand each other and um, you know make our lives rewarding. So um, I was fortunate then to get the job at the city of Bellevue, the city of Bellevue, Bellevue, Washington is, is a suburb of Seattle. I think the population is probably about 150,000 now. And they realized that their demographics were changing. Bellevue, for years, had been this very uh, predominantly white upper middle class, upper class area, and all of a sudden they realized back, and I'd say around 1990, that their demographics were changing, that there were people coming, you know, from uh, Russia, from Mexico, from different Asian countries. Um, backgrounds. And they said, hey, if we're going to be a city that really wants to serve our community, we need to understand our community and engage our community. So that's what I spent 20 years doing. Was able to uh, host a radio show for seven years called Voices of Diversity, do videos, do cultural events, do diversity training. And um, now the Bellevue, just to show you how it's changed, when I first got there, Bellevue was like 14% non-white. Today it's 47% um and a good friend of mine wound up taking over my job and then they actually wound up expanding the program even more so i was able to um really become involved on a professional level with diversity but also in a rewarding way in terms of just emotionally and and mentally uh and spiritually because i feel that work is so important and especially nowadays, where there's so much, uh, I call them the three C's, conflict, confusion, and controversy. It's going on right now with people yelling and screaming and protesting and, and getting on TV and fighting. And, and it's really kind of a, a time when it's, it behooves us as a society to really start to try and listen to each other and understand each other. Because if we don't, we're just going to, going to become more
0: polarized. What was the um, outcome? How how different did you see the shift in the community when from before you started the diversity workshops and really kind of getting to know the rest yes. of the community? What was the dynamics? How did that shift?
1: That's a great question because one thing I did notice when I first got to Bellevue, say in, like, let's say, 1994, I think it was – there was this tendency, a strong tendency for people to feel like, and and for for the most part, it's white people in in that situation, to feel like, well, all we need to do is do certain things and then we can just check the box. So all we need to do is while gets hire, you know, two African-Americans, one Hispanic, a gay person, somebody in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and somebody who speaks Spanish and now we're done. You know, all we need to do is translate things into different languages. There was not any um, feeling of people needing to look inward, to look uh, into themselves and see their own biases and understand themselves. because it's not about just doing things, you know, you can translate things into different languages, you can hire a certain amount of quote minorities, but that's just scratching the surface. You really need to, we need to all understand each other. So I think by the time I left, We had gone from, you know, having the Cinco de Mayo celebration in the park, something very kind of superficial and light and fun to having two and three day intensive diversity trainings where people were really forced to really peel back the layers of themselves as well as the deep rooted issues that are in this country. and have been um, uh, for, well, two or three hundred years, really. So I did notice that willingness, if anything, for people to really step out of their comfort zones. Whereas before, when I first got there, people wanted to stay in their comfort zones, and they just were more prone to just doing superficial displays of culture, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense, and it makes even more sense to me specifically because um, I think we had this conversation before. Uh, one of my many jobs that I did while I was on active duty was I was an equal opportunity advisor for the Pacific Regional Medical Command to two uh, star mm-hmm. generals. And one of my jobs was eight times a year, there were eight different ethnic observances that I would be in charge of setting up and making sure that we had stuff going on for that month. You know, you had women's history, you had the African-American history, and um, you had the Holocaust and Hispanic heritage and Asian Pacific and so on and so forth, right? So Mm -hmm. we set up these shows and we set up these, um, you know, kind of awareness posters and stuff, put them around the the facility and and everything. And it always seemed like it was a party for that group of people. Mm. And it wasn't a whole lot of as, as much understanding going on as what the intent really was. It was more people coming to just get some free food, get entertained, and then go back to their workplace and back to their desk and go on about their merry old life and mm-hmm. not really get a full understanding of what it's like to to really understand that particular culture. And let's say for the Hispanic culture, for instance, there's 21 different Hispanic countries, mm-hmm. and every one of them are different. They speak the same language, similar. I can understand. I speak Spanish, so I can understand. I've been to a lot of those countries, so I can understand the different dialects. But to anybody else... Everybody who speaks Spanish is Mexican. Mm-hmm. You call somebody from Puerto Rico Mexican or from Spain, <laughs> or from, you know, you're gonna get in. You're gonna have some issues, right? right? So my point is, is it's it's awesome that you really got that much more in depth and had those workshops so that people could truly sit down and have conversations with each other and really get to know each other. It just makes so much more of a difference. in an organization, in a community, and even in families.
1: Well, absolutely. And what I like to tell people is don't be a cultural diversity tourist. And what I mean by that is like people who come to Hawaii, you know, and I did it when I first came to Hawaii. It's like I'm I'm going to go to Hawaii, you know, and then I go to a luau and then I go on a tour and I, you know, and I do the I go to the Polynesian Cultural Center. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm awash with culture. And but, you know, I have I have told people when it comes to Hawaiian culture, I am just learning. I'm like a babe. You know, I am just like a little kid trying to soak up as much as I can, and I'm like a blank slate. So I ask uh, people here that live here a lot of questions because it's not about going to a luau and wearing a lei, you know, and uh, wearing a Hawaii 50 t-shirt or something, you know. <laughs> but but people feel safe doing that, you know, because it doesn't really force them to look at themselves. Um or really look at people beyond what you what you see on the surface. and I, and I think that while it's unsettling to see people arguing about Confederate statues and who should kneel or who shouldn't kneel, it's an opportunity to really um, try and understand both sides because you know, when something happens in the news, like, whether or not we take down a Confederate statue or not. Some people say, well, it's history, leave it up. Some people are just completely appalled because there's a historical thread that runs from that s- statue through history all the way back to the Civil War. So they, people are still feeling, have strong feelings about things that happened 200 years ago. So to, to just dismiss You know either side to dismiss well you know you're this or you're that or you don't understand and therefore i'm not going to talk to you does a disservice to everyone Mm -hmm. because we are a nation that you know our feelings and our emotions and our perceptions of uh, our current day reality are rooted in history so we really need to understand why are people upset when you see people doing a blackface minstrel show uh Mm -hmm. at at their workplace some people say "Well, what's the big deal You know, other people are just horrified, you know, because of what blackface represents historically. So what I would encourage people to do is before you jump to judgment on why people should act a certain way or feel a certain way, try and understand where they're coming from. And that that involves all sides. That's what diversity is about. It's about everybody coming together.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when you uh, when you shared that, I saw that article, and you shared that about and the other lady that was on your show and on your radio show the the other day that I listened to. When you were showing that the black faced ministry and the play that they did during that time, honestly, mm-hmm. my th- my first thought my first thought in my mind was. Okay, it doesn't look right to me, but what is the big deal? <laughs> it because I didn't know. It didn't look right to me. It just didn't make sense to me. You know, yeah. white kids with a black face and, and the parents as well. It's like, okay. I do happen to know, you know, i paid attention to filmography and, and films and TV shows and stuff. And I know years ago, you know, black people, even Indian people and Asian people, they weren't in, they weren't in the TV shows. They were depicted mm-hmm. by Caucasian mm-hmm. guys. And mm-hmm. Men and women, which was ridiculous, you know, right. when you think about it. I mean, even Bruce Lee was ousted from a, a TV show he was supposed to be in and a white guy ended up do, playing the part mm-hmm. with a mask. You know, it's just ridiculous. But I saw that and I was like, you know, it doesn't look right. But my my thought was, what's the big deal? And mm-hmm. I read into it. I wanted to learn. I got it. I listened to your show. I, I, I read many of the um, comments that were there. And I started to understand, okay, there's history here. Now I'm getting what the context is, and I'm understanding it. Right. And that's all, guys, that's all Kevin and I are talking about here. We're talking about, okay, at least if you're going to ask the question, what's the big deal? Be serious about wanting to receive the answer. Don't mm-hmm. just say, what's the big deal, and shut off and say, that's an, I don't understand it, and I'm just going to go back to my hole and and you know let it go on that's not what we're, we need to have these conversations and i only have a few guys that i can really have these really personal conversations with and i'm talking guys who don't look like me who have a different mm-hmm. background than me mm-hmm. that we can really have an intelligent conversation i've had guys call me out because i've said certain things or maybe commented on certain things and guys will contact me directly and say dude <laughs> what are you doing now one time it was a misunderstanding and he'll know who i'm talking about um I've been part of uh, uh a... company called Beachbody for many years and for many years the the uh, motto was everybody matters and we've been saying it for years and all of a sudden the Black Lives Matters comes up several years back a couple years back and then I said it again every and then this guy jumps on and says what do you mean you don't understand I was like no you don't understand dude doesn't I had no context in that whatsoever so we had the conversation and he actually said I apologize you know I took it out of context but it, as long as we have those conversations we can work it out man
1: right right well and and it's so easy to throw labels around and again. this comes from the left and the right i mean i have some i've seen this happen because i'm on facebook a lot you know and these different cultural uh social justice facebook pages and so what will happen is an issue will happen like statues or the anthem or whatever. And so then you get a lot of people who have one opinion um, who are, you know, liberal opinions, whatever you want to call it. And then somebody maybe who's maybe middle of the road or who's just new to the whole issue will kind of jump into the conversation and ask a reasonable question. Like, well, why is, like you said, why is this such a big deal? And then some people are very nice about explaining it. But too often I've seen people will just jump on that person and say, well, you know, you're just full of white privilege and you're this and that and shut the person down and the person mm-hmm. goes away. So w- right. what do you accomplish? Um, because that could have been a learning moment. Now, if the, if the person, after you've talked to them, still decides what's the big deal, then, then fine, that's on them. But at least they have the information. They have the context. Because too often we're taking things out of context and we're jumping to conclusions.
0: Right, and that's fine because your experiences are different. Right. And just because you haven't experienced that, you don't understand it. I get that. But at least you sought out the information, and I totally dig that. And, you know, you I think it was you that actually – I first saw this um, article talking about Hawaii specifically is that, um you know, folks that go, come from the mainland and their own little community and they grew up, born and raised there, and they come here in their early 20s or even a little bit later to go to school here to UH – and there was an article about how living in hawaii has actually made them a little bit more um
1: less understanding.
0: racist yes right. less racist yes right. <laughs> because there's so that's part of the reason why i really love hawaii and it's not about the hawaii culture guys those of you who haven't been here i'm not talking about necessarily the hawaiian culture i'm talking about the diversity here in hawaii i love the asian culture in general i've been to japan korea and I've always been intrigued by that. And there's so much of it here. And there's so many different cultures that come here. And then on top of that, you put the tourists in there. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just right. a really fun place to be when, when you're a people watcher like I am. And I have been since I was a teenager. I used to sit in the mall and just watch people because it's always intrigued me. Now it's just kind of creepy because I'm older. But so I, got, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to watch out. My wife always said, quit staring. I said, but, uh-huh. <laughs> I apologize. But I don't mean to be creepy. I'm just very interested in people.
1: Right right. Well, you have a great attitude about it and and you're not uh, in fear of something that either you don't understand or something that's different. I mean, sometimes I th- sometimes I think it's human nature that we, if something's different or unfamiliar, there's a tendency to pull back from it. And unfortunately, if we've had limited exposure to a particular culture, um, then we might go into what I call default mode. And then we start remembering what our Aunt Susie used to tell us when we were growing up about those people. And that's all we have to go on. I mean, I remember when the first time I went to an Indian reservation at age 13, I was really nervous and and anxious because all I'd ever heard about Native Americans were that they were really sweet people until they started drinking. Mm -hmm. So I was out of the corner of my eye. I'm looking for like Signs of drunkenness or, or empty beer bottles and things like that, um, because I hadn't had any other exposure to Native Americans at that point.
0: Yeah, ironically yeah. enough, I grew up in Arizona, and you know we have a lot of Native Americans around, but they weren't around me. Mm-hmm. They uh, they just weren't. They weren't very very few, if any, were in my high school. Um, you had to go out to the reservations to interact with with the Native Americans, and it wasn't a, a kind place to be i used to later in life i delivered i uh, made and installed windows and delivered windows and um i would go out to these reservations once in a while and to install windows they were just beat up from the sand you know from the sandstorms and the heat and stuff like that and it's just a terrible environment to be in i just thought it was it was not fun but i had the same ideas i had the same um you know The um, Cowboy and Indian shows, you know, all the Mm -hmm. Westerns that I watched with my stepdad growing up and all that stuff. That's what I, even though I grew up in Arizona, that's what I knew about Indians. Right. And it just is far from the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, man, we could have this conversation (laughs) forever. Mm -hmm. We're most likely going to have you on the show again, but I know you and I will be talking in person as well. Absolutely. uh, Much, much more. But Kevin, we're at the point where we're going to pay it forward. you ready to do that, man?
1: Oh, Sure.
0: Awesome. (laughs) So share with men of abundance one to three actionable steps that they can take today.
1: Well, action step number one, I would say, is get out of your comfort zone. We're all creatures of routine. You know, we go to the same store. I mean, I do it all the time. I go to I go to Safeway or I go to Walmart or whatever, you know, but purposely start the day off and do something different. Look at a TV show you've never looked at. Um, Look at go to a store you've never been to. Maybe it's of, of a different ethnic background because. That way you're allowing yourself to be exposed to people and interact with people and it's it's a, in a proactive way as opposed to a reactive way where you're seeing something on the news and then you're you're feeling like, you know, oh those people are doing this or those people are doing that. Go go to them. Don't expect them to come to you. So I would say that. The other thing is is like think about somebody in your family who maybe thinks differently than you do. It could be an uncle, it could be a sister in law, could be an aunt, it could be a you know doesn't even have to be a family member. It could be a neighbor. But think about maybe approaching that person and trying to get to know them where they're at and not, you know, relying on just kind of summing them up like, oh, Uncle Bob, he's just, a, you know, a, a narrow-minded Republican or whatever. Really try and reach out to them and try and, you know, get some context to who they are. And um, thirdly, I would just say no matter what your age, you know, um, be yourself. Don't I, – I, I was telling my wife the other day, I said – Let's not even use the word should anymore because she said something and I said something where, well, I should have done this or you should do that. Because if you use that word, it usually means that it's not you're not being true to yourself. You're trying to accommodate somebody else's wishes. So if you want to dress a certain way, if you want to go do something um, that's maybe, you know, isn't normally associated with your age group, your ethnicity, just go do it. Life's too short. So just be yourself and enjoy it.
0: I love that, and um, it's kind of funny. But I actually refer to that, and I've heard this said before: "is quit shooting on yourself." <laughs> <laughs> and it's truly that. It's it, it, the context is perfect because what you should have done is it, it means nothing, you mm-hmm. know, compared to what you did do. Mm-hmm. You know what, what you move forward with. So, what daily habits make the biggest impact in your life, Kevin?
1: Uh, one, one thing I try to do is sometimes I get frustrated, you know, the Internet's not working or, um, th- you know, the car doesn't start or something. And then I get all frustrated and it, it threatens to ruin my whole day. But what helps me is that at some point, if I go, I, it could be turning on the TV. It could be picking up a book. It could be seeing somebody that's way less fortunate than me. My problems are temporary. Usually the Internet will come back up. I'll get the car fixed you know, I'll get that story in on time or whatever. But for some people, they are dealing with permanent challenges, whether it be, you know, they're in a wheelchair, they have uh, family members in jail, whatever, or they have an illness. And then I try and expose myself in some way to a person like that, because then it gives me perspective. And I say, hey, you know, things aren't so bad, because there's a lot of people that have it way worse than I do.
0: Yeah, I hear that quite often, and I think that, you know, folks that have traveled around and done other things and, you know, work in the diversity uh, area like you have, you see that firsthand, and I and I think that that's one of the um, – a way to combat that, that mentality is to get out and really see how other people are truly living and just see how great you have it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So – what are you reading now or listening to that you would recommend to our Abundant Leaders and why or any other thing that you would recommend to our sure. Abundant Leaders?
1: Sure. I would recommend a book called Disrupt Aging by Joanne Jenkins. I just started it. She's the CEO of ARP, A-A-R-P. And she writes a book. I'll just read it real quickly. In the back it says, Joanne Jenkins doesn't just challenge the stereotypes of aging. She reduces them to rubble. Showing that our later years can be just as productive, meaningful, and purposeful as our primary working years, so that 's what I would recommend
0: yeah, I love that i'm definitely going to pick that up, and I truly mean that because uh, i've recently discovered that you know through my readings and stuff that i've been reading that you know this whole term or, this whole idea of retirement is is an a new age idea it 's nowhere in the Bible about retirement. Uh, and once we have no value to add to our community, we die,
1: mm-hmm. we
0: becoming insignificant, and we physically die. And so I, I just think that's great where I know many guys that are in their 60s working on 70s that are doing more today than they were, you know, in their 20s. Like you were saying, you came before we started talking here, you came to Hawaii to relax and, you know, chill out, retire. <laughs> and you're working harder now. You're working more now than you were before
1: that's right <laughs> yeah,
0: because you're working for a cause you're, you're adding value to the community and you know all the there's parts of it that we don't like the paperwork and all that kind of stuff but it just goes with the territory man yep. I love what you're doing I thank you for it
1: well I thank you for having me on the show and I look forward to continuing our discussions
0: absolutely we've got a couple more questions here and I'm going to let you sure. go man sure. going to get on with the day what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance
1: Um, One of my favorite sayings is we are our own worst enemies. Um, I I think that too often we think about why we shouldn't do something or why, why it might not work. But I'm a strong believer in just calculated risks. You know, as long as you can keep the lights on and you can keep food on the table, then go for it. Because if you never go for it, there's nothing worse, I think, sometimes than living a life full of I coulda, I shoulda, maybe if I had just done this, you know, regret. I think, who wants to live a life full of regret? So I think that we too often think of reasons why we can't do something instead of just saying, hey, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, a lot of times it's just like dating. You know, you had to, a lot of times you had to ask that woman for a date. You could have Mm -hmm. talked yourself out of it, but that might not be your wife for the last 30 years if you had talked yourself out of it. Got to stick your neck out sometimes.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Like I said earlier, change your questions, change your self-talk, you change your life, improve Mm -hmm. your life. Absolutely. Wonderful. I love it. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you, Kevin?
1: Well, I think abundance is one of those words where it's very subjective. So I I used to think when I was in my 20s that it was all about a big house, a fancy car, hanging out at certain restaurants. I grew up in that Hollywood context. And I thought that if I had that, I would have abundance. But so many people around me I saw that had those material things. Everybody loved them, but they were empty inside. So they, they, were, they had the opposite of abundance. They were like a bottomless well, really. So I think it's finding out what – look around you. and It's some of the simpler things that really will give you the abundance, the smile of your grandchild, this saying hi to a neighbor, having coffee with a friend. Those are, and a lot of these things are free. You know, the best things in life are free. So I I, I think that uh, um, abundance is is when you come across something that gives you an immense amount of satisfaction, make note of it and stick with it because that's where the abundance comes from.
0: Excellent. Excellent answer. I absolutely love that. So we're going to close this up, Kevin, before we do. What did we not talk about today that you want to ensure that our abundant leaders get out of our conversation?
1: Oh, wow. Well, I would think if anybody wants – I don't know if you put my contact information on your notes. I was just going to say if people wanted to contact me, I could give out my email, but it might you might already have it there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to okay. have all the links that you provided oh, perfect. perfect linked up in the show notes. But go ahead and mention it again here on the show just in case. Some okay. people don't make it to the show notes. They might want to write it down or something. Sure
1: you can always contact me at DeadlineBlues at gmail.com.
0: Okay, DeadlineBlues at gmail.com. I dig it. And I I hope you don't hear that. Somebody's got a chainsaw going on Uh outside. Maybe I'll try to edit it
1: out. A (laughs) chainsaw? It sounds like a horror movie or something. (laughs) I'm up here in the
0: mountains in Manoa, so somebody's chopping something up.
1: Well, you might want to see who's out there while he makes (laughs) are not a serial... uh... Yeah,
0: nope, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned, so I'm <laughs> on the edge of my seat here. When we get done here, I'm going to go see what's up. Good idea. <laughs> so, awesome. You just shared how we can reach you, and we oh, you finally got on the uh, conversation to record this so I can share you with the rest of the world. And they're going to get a chance to listen to you and listen to your amazing story and connect with you as well.
1: Great. Thanks a lot, Wally.
0: My pleasure. Aloha. Aloha. All right, guys, I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did, and I really do hope that you go back and take action on some of the action steps that Kevin mentioned. Another option that you can do is you can take action and go back and listen to my conversation with Christian Picciolini, episode 144. Now, Christian takes this idea of diversity from a whole different standpoint because Christian is a former skinhead and white supremacist. And I would have never had that conversation with Christian had it not been for Kevin Henry because Kevin introduced me to Christian several months back. I will warn you up front that that conversation is much more intense just because of Christian's background, but Christian has some very strong action steps, some very simple and very not so easy action steps for some people to take for you to truly get to at least understand or start the process of understanding of where other people are coming from based on their background and their life experiences. Look, guys, here at Men of Abundance, we don't just talk, we take action. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do here is to take action, get to know people that you wouldn't normally get to know. One other way you can do that is to get into my Facebook community, the Men of Abundance Facebook community, not my community, our community. And you can do that at menofabundance.com forward slash members or just click on the members tab at the top of any one of the pages at menofabundance.com. I look forward to seeing you in there so that we can continue this conversation. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward.
1: That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance.